Welcome to Revealing Men, conversations that pull back the curtain, revealing the inner lives of men. I'm Randy Flood, psychotherapist and director of the Men's Resource Center of West Michigan. I am always delighted to have Ken Porter as a guest. He is a somatic therapist who is certified specifically in Hokomi therapy, which is a mindful, somatic, and experiential approach to therapy. Ken and I know each other professionally in that we have been running men's therapy groups for approximately two decades now, and he's been a, a, a guest on Revealing Men a, a, at least a handful of times. He understands the unique gender-specific approach of working with male clients and has been an ardent supporter of my vision and development of the Men's Resource Center of West Michigan. Additionally, Ken and I have been members together in a leaderless men's support group for a couple decades now, and we're and we're just good friends. So all that is to say is that Ken gets me on a professional and personal level, I believe. And this being so, I've invited Ken to the Revealing Men's podcast as a guest host to interview me, trusting him to ask me questions he deems worthy relative to the Revealing Men's theme of pulling back the curtain on the inner lives of men. I haven't reviewed the questions ahead of time, so who knows, Ken, you may be wanting me to pull back the curtain on my personal life. Um, hopefully not to fully disrobe, but I trust you. Um, <laughs> so Ken, thanks for your willingness to be a guest host. Yeah, thank you, Randy. It's always great to be here on your podcast. Good deal. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's let's jump in. All right. Uh, um, I guess I'm just going to start with just a real general. I don't know, introductory kind of a question. Just curious about what got you into doing men's work? What got you interested in it? Well, I never set out to um, specialize in men's work. I think I kind of, you know, it was, I was called into it or I stumbled into it Hmm. (laughs) in that I, when I did an internship, um, Back in 1992, when I graduated, I was um, got an internship at a forensic psychological practice in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And in that practice, they specialized with working with criminals um, and people in the specifically caught up in probation and having to do um, court-ordered therapy. And so I was working with domestic violence perpetrators, sexual offenders, um, drunk mm-hmm. drivers, and as an intern and running these groups with other therapists and, and I, then I started working at the evaluation and consultation center in Kalamazoo doing similar work after I graduated. And what happened was, is that I started looking at the, the people in the groups and I realized that they were all men. Mm. And the specialty at that time was forensic psychology of looking at criminal mentality, criminal behaviors, whatever's the propensity of someone to act out criminally. But there was no specific focus on asking the question that, you know, which I I didn't believe that men were born to be criminals. And so I started asking the question, well, what what happened to these guys and why are they here? Mm. Um, And so I became curious about that. And I moved out of that lens of just looking at them as criminals that I needed to rehabilitate which they needed accountability and that kind of support, but I wanted to see them as a special population. And so that's when I began immersing myself into men's psychology and began reading about that. In the domestic violence work specifically, there was a lot of influential authors like Paul Kibble, 
who wrote men's work. Um, and so I began to understand the process of male socialization. And then fast forward, um, eventually I became interested in working with men beyond just the criminal population. I wanted to work with the general population of men because I believe that all men to some degree grew up not being socialized into emotional intelligence, relational intelligence, and they were just kind of socialized to climb corporate ladders and play on football fields and and, and, and not socialized into relationships. And so, so a lot of men's struggles, I believed, came from a lack of opportunity to be, to be um, taught and cross-trained in the art of, of intimacy and understanding emotions. And so I founded the Men's Resource Center with my colleague, Charlie Donaldson, in 2000. And we developed programs, as you know, way beyond just working with criminals. We have therapy groups that you work with me in, um, helping men um, be better versions of themselves. And so I became very right. passionate about that. Wow. Yeah, I love that story. I love that trajectory. It, it, uh, it reminds me of um, Oprah's new book, which I haven't read yet, but um, I believe it's called What Happened to You? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's kind of the, the focus of it is like, you know, it's not that you're a bad person. It's something happened to you. Mm. You know, something happened to you. There's a reason why you have these certain behaviors or these certain proclivities. And so, yeah, I love that you were able to kind of see underneath the, like the surface layer or the interpretive right. layer and say, yeah, there's, there's something going on here. Yeah. And, and the common theme is, Men. <laughs> yeah, men and how and how they are socialized. I mean, I think, you know, you look at Betty Frieden, um, who talked about a problem with no name and looking at women back in the, you know, 50s and 60s and trying to say, well, why aren't they happy? You know, they got the picket fence and they got the nice china and the perfect drapes that they're able to pick out, live in the suburbs. And <clears throat> and why aren't they happy raising their children and, and just staying at home? And and so there became a, an interest in women's work. Um, and even looking at colleges, there used to be women's studies. Um, and now we call them gender studies because, again, the, the minority um, um, population tends to be um, studied by the, by, the, by the dominant culture. You know, so heterosexual mm. study, homosexuals and mm. white people study of people of race. And so white people don't have a race. Um, and similarly, is that we became we, we became interested in studying women as kind of a what is unique about their gender and their and their and their experience in the world, and that is kind of what I became interested in. What is unique about growing up male, and particularly American culture, and um, and so that is a field that I'm continue to be very interested in in and working with men as a specialty. Great. Um, what would you say is, uh, the importance of working specifically on men's issues? I'm, I'm thinking personally, relationally, globally. Yeah, I think that men need to become part of the solution. I think there's, there's a lot of global problems with, you know, we're in, and two really messy wars or three at this point in time that right. um, is impacting. And, and it's not that 
men are um, are the only ones responsible for war. But you think of violence toward toward um, women in certain cultures and even in American culture. Um, and there's just there's such a there's such a propensity for men to externalize and act out <clears throat> and pass the pain that they experience onto others. And so I think that seeing men as a special population and giving them a chance to have safe places to talk about their experiences of growing up male and giving them permission to have a different view of masculinity that's not emanating from a patriarchal culture, which, you know, um, Bell Hooks talks about how uh, patriarchy's first assault is on, you know, the this, this psychic mutilation of men in terms of pummeling out the softer parts of their humanity in order to mm-hmm. be a part of patriarchy. Um, and so I think that to engage men and being able to see them, see opportunities for them to, to be both masculine and also develop this other part of their humanity that they heretofore have, have sometimes seen as, you know, being a woman, being weak, um, being unmasculine, they get stuck in this gender binary or this gender straitjacket yeah. that limits their full potential. So in the name of the human potential model, I think that engaging men to see that they can, you know, both um, change a tire and change a diaper. They can both, you know, um, be able to drive their trucks and then be able to let their children crawl up on their laps and, and snuggle and tickle. I mean, there's there's ways in which you have different gears in life and yeah. being able to understand what the social context is or what the, what the relational context is and then being able to just like we do with vehicles you know we got snow mode and rain mode and eco mm-hmm. mode and sport right. mode right because as drivers we want our vehicles to be nimble and know what kind of terrain they're on and hopefully have a chassis system and a rpm you know transmission ratios to be able to handle it and so as men we can we can socialize men to be to be nimble and flexible and ask the question, what human traits are required right now? Are they softer ones that we typically, you know, categorized as, as women's traits or are they harder traits that we traditionally have categorized as masculine traits and how men can have, have both developed and live fuller lives. So engaging yeah. men is the answer to that question, I think is important mm. rather than talking at men and telling them what's wrong with them, but getting them to see the a personal investment in this work. Yeah, beautiful. And it sounds like it sounds like showing, yeah, showing men that life can be a whole lot more rich when you do step out of that that box, the man box. Right. Yeah, and and you know, it, again, I'm hearing you say, like I've heard you say many times, it's not we're not taking away anybody's masculinity in any way, you know, right. you know, if anything, we're, we're fortifying it, we're, we're enhancing, we're enhancing it, but we're, mm. we're expanding it beyond these narrow confines. So, right. yeah, I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say are some prevalent themes that tend to come up in, in your work with men? I think that 
what oftentimes gets men into the door of therapy. There's many things, but I think one of the more prominent themes as you're asking is, is relationship problems. Is that they're, mm. they're either experiencing or being told that they're, they're ineffectual, they're inadequate, they're not good enough. Um, that mm. someone in a relationship wants something different, something more. So they could be experiencing just a, um, a lot of criticality, a lot of, um, a lot of emotional distance. Um, they could experience a separation or a divorce, perhaps from a from a relationship with someone they love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, men come in with experiencing the pain of that rejection, and then somehow are at risk of either externalizing that and targeting women as that, well, she's just a complainer, she's the problem. And so I'm here to, you know, help you can, can you help me help fix her? <laughs> you know, a lot of times mm-hmm. guys will be interested more in couples work, for example, and rather than doing some individual work. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once you get, once they get in the door and then you begin to talk to them about, um, it's hard for them to ask for help. Um, men can be more comfortable asking for help on their, you know, golf swing or their financial portfolio, but to asking mm-hmm. help for learning how to do relationships better or learning how to understand their emotions that they're experiencing mm-hmm. um, is is harder for them to see that as, as valuable. Um, mm-hmm. But then when you get some just basic education about what ultimately they want in life. It's often that, yeah, they want success in their job and they, you know, and they want their favorite basketball team to win, (laughs) you know, in the sweet, sweet 16. Um, But they also want to be often have close relationships with their children and meaningful friendships. And Mm -hmm. they want to have their, their partner, their intimate partner, like them, like to be around them. And they like to be have connection and a sense of satisfaction in those relationships. And so when you begin talking to them about those relationships require skill and require for you, you to have emotional resources, you can't connect with someone if your heart's not open. Yeah. Um, and connection is more than sexual connection. It's, it's a more um, heartened connection, connection to mind, stories, narratives, connection to fears and dreams. Yeah, And so when you help them understand that what they really want in life <clears throat> requires them to do the work, if you want to be really good at golf or you want to be really good at investments, you have to be able to be willing to learn. And so once they see this as a like a coaching opportunity, an opportunity or a, an opportunity to learn rather than they're sick and there's something wrong with them, they're, they're developing themselves, they're growing themselves up, they're healing themselves then I think they become more engaged, more inspired to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. So relationship seems to be a, like a key theme. And I, I know that, you know, obviously you do a lot of work with addiction and addictions can, I mean, addictions ultimately come down to relationship. Uh, I mean, they, they certainly can have personal you know, uh, 
really harmful impact on somebody's personal life. But right. um, relationally, it's really hard to be in a healthy relationship if there's an addiction process going on. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And in, 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 when you have an addiction, you, you have a relationship with something that's not human. It's, it's, mm. it's quite, in, it's quite intimate. It consumes mm. your life. It, yeah. It's all you think about and you're, you're thinking about attaining whatever you're addicted to, whether it's sex or alcohol or drugs or, you know, gambling or whatnot you're uh, you're preoccupied with that throughout the day and what how i'm going to obtain it well, i'm incrementally going to get the euphoria from it how's it going to get me what i want mm-hmm. and then managing the consequences of getting too much of it <laughs> yeah and yeah so it it's a relationship yeah so it's a matter of helping people break up with that one and, <laughs> and learn how to develop true relationships that are going to be more meaningful and fulfilling. Yeah. 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 And would you say that the, I mean, I'm sure you would, (laughs) that the, (laughs) that the, uh, you know, the, the way that most of us as males have been socialized really sets us up for addictive, you know, not just addictive behavior, but any kind of behavior that takes us out of relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it sets us up to have, relationships with things that are not as fulfilling and sustainable. I mean, Mm. you know, you can have relationships with your favorite sports team. You can have relationships, you know, with your job where you're, you know, succeeding and getting more and more credentialed and getting more and more money. Um, You can have, um, you know, relationships that maybe are fun and interesting with your neighbors, but not maybe they don't really know you. They don't see the inner life. They don't see your fears, your struggles, your insecurities. You talk about things that are safe or there's this, there's this bantering. And yeah. so a lot of times guys, you know, struggle with loneliness with, cause they mm. don't have those intimate, more sustainable relationships that really yeah. truly fill you up. Yeah. And, and so that's um, one of the things we teach them how to do. <laughs> yes. It's a huge void when you don't know how to connect. Yeah. I, I can speak from experience. Yeah. I, I was I was trained with the best of them or the worst of them. Right. <laughs> to, yeah. to not, you know, to disconnect. And it's, yeah, it can be a very lonely place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wondering what you would say have been some of your more gratifying experiences in this work. Yeah, I would say that when I I see the work, it requires a lot of courage and strength. I mean, a lot of times, again, you know, traditional views of masculinity kind of have this narrow view of what what is demonstrative of courage or strength. Mm. So there's strength is kind of defined through physicality. It's like, so how much weights can you lift or how much, mm. you know, I remember me and my brothers, you know, taking the, you know, the weights out the, out the yard and, you know, and just, you know, every 
weekend trying to lift more weights and you know and you just want to just get just a little bit stronger you know and there's just a sense i mean and it's great to get stronger i mean because you mm-hmm. helps you compete sports but there's so much definite so much of men's identity gets defined through physical strength um or the strength of credentialing you know more and more degrees more and more experience it's that kind of thing but it's not the strength it takes to handle intense feelings without acting them out that takes a lot of strength mm, to mm. it's like a you think of the i always think of emotions as kind of like there's like this sensation in the body their physical sensations that can be heat or like electricity or mm. or like a, almost like an ache mm-hmm. and you've got to have this crucible inside of you that can hold that heat yeah and if you don't have that crucible inside of you then that heat can bust out and mm. and hurt people and the shards mm. of that crucible breaks out and mm. so you got to have developed this emotional strength and <clears throat> this ability to study your emotions and say well what are these emotions telling me because I, I love it when guys finally get it that emotions are just data <laughs> Yeah, just giving us information. If we listen, mm-hmm. similar to you're driving down, you know, men are very fascinated. Sometimes, you know, my I grew up around men that loved the mechanics. My dad was, or my grandfather was a backyard mechanic, and he taught me about cars and stuff. But he he called the the lights, you know, in your car idiot lights because he liked to see, you know, the old school where they had the graphs where the needle went up and told you what your oil pressure was, and you're supposed to know what it's where where it's supposed to be and all this stuff so guys like to study like what's going on inside an engine because they want it to work right they want it to they don't want it to be on the side of the road stranded and if something breaks they want to know well what, what caused it how can i prevent it from breaking again i need to you know the rings are bad and the pistons and the oil's going down and you know they they get really geeked out about that and so when you take that kind of masculine curiosity and say well look at your body as a as an engine there's a lot going on inside Mm -hmm. of you Mm -hmm. and so so let's study these emotions have a strong crucible to handle them and then courage the courage Mm -hmm. to reveal what's going on with you Mm -hmm. um guys in group when they get to the point of understanding that they'll often start out we do a check-in in group and they'll say you know, they have to ask for time and they'll say, I got something today that I'm scared to death to talk about. Yeah. And, and I know that tells me I need to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems antithetical to being a man. It's like men hold their cards to their ch- close to their chest. You know, you don't want to reveal your, your game plan or what's going on with you because people will take advantage of you or manipulate you. And so there's there's a tremendous amount of courage and strength it takes to reveal yourself, to expose yeah. yourself. And say, yeah. this is what's going on. Yeah, it me. is so gratifying to see those breakthrough moments, it. isn't it? Yeah. 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 We yeah. see it with guys and you see guys at the beginning of group doing the banter and dancing around and with mm-hmm. their armor on and their masks on and they don't want to yeah. reveal what's really going on and yeah. posing and pretending and mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. it's like we understand it i don't judge them i understand yeah. that they're scared um yeah. yeah and um so but when they finally get 
this clear understanding of that the healing and the growth comes when with having the strength and courage to to review their authentic selves and talk about that with other men mm. that is just beautiful that's spiritual that's sacred to be able to witness that and watch guys guys do that for an hour and a half or we have these extended mm-hmm. sessions where they do it for a day and you mm-hmm. know then they you know i have one guy that used to say um at the end of group he was a construction worker he'd take off his boots and get comfortable and then at the end of group he'd say it's time to reboot and go to work and he'd go to, <laughs> you know then he'd jump in his truck and off he'd go and he mm-hmm. you know he became he connected to his heart and but he was also able to um continue to be an incredible um business owner and construction worker i mean he actually got better at it because he had more relationship skills beyond yeah. just what he could do with his hammer and saw and he was able to develop relationships and so his business actually grew absolutely so we have many yeah. examples of that that you know of um, yeah. i always tell people i said you know sounds like a like a salesman when i say that you know your therapy is an investment not an expense <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's so true yeah so yeah. true yeah yeah yeah, so you should probably start a podcast and maybe call it <laughs> Revealing Men. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, thank you. When I posed that name to um, my writer-editor who helps me with marketing and stuff, Sandra, and she was like, Revealing Men, did you Google that? There's like, you know, all these mm. like men in underwear and... <laughs> she said, i'm not sure you want to call it that and i said that's my point it's it gets so you know if men are revealing themselves mm-hmm. what there's it's a sexual thing it's revealing their undergarments it's like no we're talking about revealing their inner lives yeah and so yeah. the hell of that i'm going to go with it and so she came along with me <laughs> <laughs> all right good call <laughs> um so yeah we've talked a lot about uh group work already i'm i'm curious like where you kind of put the importance of group work for men you know as opposed to maybe just individual one-on-one work Hmm. yeah well i think group therapy unfortunately is something that just doesn't happen in the mental health community um at the level that I think it should. Um, mm. I personally was involved in group therapy when I went through my years of therapy and I was also involved in individual. And um, and I I found, you know, that I didn't really get to my issues and, and get to the, the, the grit of all of what was going on mm. until I got into group um, with, with, I was with my peers, uh, people just thrown together in their humanity to try to figure stuff out and to have conversations with each other Mm. um so i think just in general um that i think group therapy is underutilized in the mental health field Mm. and then specifically with men um i i think that my experience with men is that with individual therapy they often run out of material (laughs) it's when you see them individually they're they're so focused on the problem and talking Mm. about the specifics of the problem and giving you the details of he said, she said, and this one, you know, and giving the mechanics of it all. Mm. But then when you start getting down into 
drilling down into the emotions, into the, you know, the, the, the guts of, of what's going on and some of their family of origin, childhood issues, um, fears, insecurities, shame, <clears throat> that's too scary. Um, and they won't talk about it as though they're too scared. They just think that's kind of mamby-pamby. That's, you know, we don't really need to get into that to fix my problem, do we? And so they kind of start thinking that this therapy thing really isn't for me. And then the attrition rate, mm. I think, was really high when I worked with men without group therapy. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> and so the beautiful thing about group is it puts them in into a room with other men who have been in, engaged in the therapy longer than they have. And so we call those guys the elders in the group. And every group has a life cycle. So you got the new members, and we call them the newbies. <laughs> and you've got the guys that have been there for a little while, kind of getting getting traction and kind of understanding the, um, how group works and starting to do the work. And then you have guys that have been there for a long time, sometimes years. And, and, and it's kind of the spirit of the 12-step community, with, which is, the you know, the 12th step is giving back to the community that, that mm. saved your life and that helped mm. you become mm -hmm. a, a fuller person. Yeah. And so yeah. we experience that life cycle, and that really helps men um, settle in and see other men um, speak this foreign language. They're like, mm. you know, I remember one guy saying one time he was his first group, and there was this intense moment for one of the elders that he expressed some deep sadness. And, you know, and again, Charlie and I used to say that we're in the business of making grown men cry. <laughs> um, but this this guy was not afraid of crying and he had some something sad going on in his life and he cried and talked about it and people got him Kleenexes. And, um, and then when I met the new guy in the individual counseling, he said, I don't know about this group thing, Randy. He said, he said, if that shit that I saw in that group is contagious, I don't want nothing to do with it. <laughs> and he, you know, was of the belief, you know, real men don't cry. Um, right. So he saw like this was making these men soft. And a lot of times they think of connecting to emotions as a form of emasculation um, mm -hmm. rather than cross training. So helping men be in in community with other men where they're where they're revisioning their masculinity and mm. giving themselves a greater permission to do the work. So if you don't have the mindset or the framework to do this deep work, this intense work, building that crucible, like I said earlier, and being able to dive into those emotions and learning the, the, the benefits of self-regulation, if you don't have mentors helping you with that, it's hard for me as a therapist to to because they assume that I'm just, I'm a therapist. Of course, I want you to do that emotional stuff. But when they have other men, their peers, right. Right. telling them, no, this is the, this is, this is a taste of honey. Once you start knowing how to do this work, yeah. you, you'll, you'll, you'll always want to do this work because it brings so much more edification and connection and meaning to life and relationships. Trust me, just, just, come along. And so that yeah. shepherding is what yeah. Yeah. happens in group. And that's why I think it's so powerful. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you do men's groups, you don't do mixed gender groups. 
Um, I suppose there are pros and cons either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonder if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I do um, have what we call uh, extended groups where I'll bring in um, guest therapists and sometimes their, their patients or clients will be a part of that experience. So recently I, with some colleagues, we did an extended session um, and we had a, had mixed groups. So I brought the men from my groups into their, they had females from their uh, mixed gender groups. And we all kind of came together and had an extended session that way. So hmm. I do believe that there's a place for mixed gendered groups. Um, my experience with working in men's groups and, and being a part of mixed gender groups as well is that I, I believe that men um, tend to get feel safer quicker with when there's not women in the in the room. Um, it's hard for people to understand this, um, but men are often afraid of women <laughs> in, in this. You know, it's like they're not afraid to go out and, you know, play basketball because they know they're superior and they, you know, I'm going to we're going to kick some ass and, you know, we'll beat these women. I'll get on the court with them. But when it comes to sitting in a circle with women, I mean, and doing this thing, this conversational thing and talking about feelings and stuff, that's for men can be quite foreboding and scary to put themselves. And they're afraid of being judged by women and condemned because a lot of their history of externalizing behaviors is, you know, passing their pain on to perhaps women and children with people they loved and hurt Mm -hmm. that they don't want to talk about that. Um, They don't want to talk about what they've done to hurt others with, with other, with women. And so there's a lot of Mm. things that get in the way of them feeling safe and settling in and doing the work. And I find that men will get more comfortable quicker with men and, and be able to see other men talk about shameful behaviors and then it gives them permission mm-hmm. to talk about it as well um and their re-socialization as i talked about earlier ken is that when we are socialized we're socialized by running in man packs and, and being around other men and so this idea of re-socializing men and men specific groups i think is a really important feature of what we do at the men's resource center and i see the work and the benefits of it yeah um mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and it seems like, you know, I often hear women talk about the need for a safe space with mm-hmm. other women. Yeah. Um, and I don't hear men talk about it that often, but I I I know what you're saying. Like it's a it's a reality for men too. It's just not something that's talked about, mm-hmm. probably because men aren't that great <laughs> at talking about their their inner experience. Right. But, you know, that's that's why we're doing what we're doing. Right. Yeah. No, it's not it's not easy for men to say that I feel I feel unsafe. Yeah. A lot of times men will Right. It, it, part of being a man is to is to be able to be um tough enough to to withstand unsafe things, you know. It's like Yeah. Yeah. Don't <clears throat> Don't climb that tree that far up and cut that limb down that might fall on your house. You might you might hurt yourself. Ah, I got it. You know, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, guys are kind of trained to kind of show their masculinity or prove their masculinity by 
going into burning buildings and saving lives, but um, yeah. Yeah. but to stand outside and stand at the bottom of the tree and say, I'm scared, I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I want to do this. doesn't mean mm-hmm. you don't do it. Mm-hmm. You, but to to really honestly say I'm this makes me really nervous. I'm really scared, but I'm gonna get hurt. But you know I need to do this, so I'm gonna do it. Yeah, that's that's hard for guys to do. They just perform. Yeah, and we don't yeah. see what's going on inside them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of what the the work that you do is um, is kind of like cross training that skill set like more in a more useful way like for example to say to be able to say as a man i feel unsafe that is running into a burning building mm-hmm. i mean it, yeah. it takes that much courage if if you have such intense socialization that says no you can't ever be that vulnerable like right. there's a there's a level of terror that comes with that mm-hmm. with that type of vulnerability yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. And I've I've often heard you talk about how, you know, like you're basically cross training like a, a new form of courage or you're mm-hmm. you're you're taking this courage that has been more externalized in someone's life and showing men how to internalize it, how to how to right. harness it internally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's yeah. so much, you know, we got left, right, brain, you got the yin and the yang, you've got there's so many things in life where there's, you know, there's the East, you know, the sun rises in the East and sets in the West. I mean, there's just so many of these polarities that it's like, but we love the midday, you know, we love the sun over the top of us too, you know, and we like all, you know, when it comes up and all the way down. And so like, but we don't do that with, with, with humans very well. We think that, you know, it's like, no, you're, you're a man, you're, you set, you, you go off into the West, <laughs> and stare at the sun as it goes as it goes down. You're a woman. You stay over in the east. You know it's like one gets the yin and one gets the yang, and mm. it's that gender binary. And yeah. and I just think that we're evolving species. You know mm-hmm. we got to look at modernity and what what does culture require of men and women? There's so much more we have in common than different in the 21st yeah. century. You know yeah. it's like yeah. this idea to kind of put people in boxes. Yeah and say you're going to live completely separate lives. It's like, no, you got women judges and, you know, CEOs and um, doctors and you got males that, um, I mean, my granddaughter has a, um, a a guy in her daycare. That's a part of the daycare staff. And I thought, wow, that is freaking cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. um, we got Mm -hmm. stay at home dads and we've got, uh, Yeah. There's so many different things, you know, that we're seeing just this more acceptance to, to see you as a unique human with a compilation of strong and or or hard and, and soft traits of your humanity. And like, let's develop yeah. as much of your humanity as possible. And then you get to decide what, who you're going to be, what your identity is. And it doesn't have to be so. So. Um, lopsided and focused in on you know you're a man you're going to be this you're a woman you're going to be that yeah 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 and you know speaking of non-binary and gender and Mm -hmm. and i'm sure this is a topic for another another time because we could spend a lot of time on this but i'm just curious as 
as gender becomes, you know, increasingly, you know, regarded as non-binary in our, in our culture and accepted as such. Um, curious how you see that impacting men's work. And again, yeah, I, well, you know, yeah. big question. Sure. I mean, we can talk, you know, just in terms of the transgender movement and all of that. There's so much to say, but just in terms of looking at the men's movement, I think it's it's progress just to see gender more fluidly and moving mm-hmm. out of that rigid gender binary and giving men just more permission to experience this softer side of their humanity without having to call it so much you're acting like a woman (laughs) you know it's like yeah you know i don't remember growing up um you know i feel like i'm a pretty sensitive um person i feel emotions quite strongly and i can intuit and i can feel the pain of others and Mm -hmm. no one ever explained to me as a man what that what that what was going on what that was i mean it's like my, you know, if I was a female, I think there there would be a lot more conversation around. Well, you're sensitive. You, you yeah, know, yeah, you feel yeah. you feel things more than 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 others or whatever. And there would be some education around what it, how to right. how to embrace it. And and it's a powerful tool, but it also can be a place where you can you can get hurt easily. And and so mm-hmm. you have to understand that and appreciate that that aspect of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think there's just ultimately good things are going to come from more fluidity um, in, in gender expression. And then when we get into how that gets expressed in terms of a person's physicality and all that, there's there's lots of controversy around that. But I do think it's it's interesting that, you know, it's like, how do women cross dress? You know, it's like women can, I mean, there's some certain cultures still that are super conservative where women have to wear dresses, they can't mm-hmm. wear pants right. and right. and revealing yeah. clothes because that's considered, you know, the clothes of men and you mm-hmm. can't wear jeans. I grew up in a pretty conservative culture and I remember the, the, mm-hmm. the minister's wife never wore um, pants. Yeah. Yeah. She was very conservative in that way. Yeah. And so... Now women can wear all kinds of clothes and no one says you're dressing like a man, but still there's, there's a lot of limitations for men. I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes you can, I remember one real masculine guy that I worked with, he came in and was wearing a pink striped shirt and he was really proud of himself (laughs) you know, because he said he got it for Christmas and he was scared to wear it because he was going to get mocked at at, on his golf team. And he's like, he's just like, I don't care. I like it. He says, you know, it looks good with my my skin tone, (laughs) something like that. Um, So there's just more permission to wear more colors. And, you know, there was to be a time that someone would question your sexual orientation if you had a piercing or you wore, you know, mm-hmm. earrings or something, mm-hmm. but so much yeah. of that is, has changed over the years and longer hair. I mean, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, it's like, I grew up in, again, a conservative environment where it's like, I mean, I went to a conservative college that I ended up getting kicked out of, but, but I, you can only have your hair halfway down your ear, Oh yeah, uh-huh. you know, or otherwise you were, you were not, you know, looking like a man, you know? And so, I mean, there's just so much has changed with that um, and being able to be, you know, dress how you want. And men, I still 
can't wear skirts unless you're Scottish, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, I think that movement is, is, is good. Ultimately, you know, they've got to figure out the boundaries around some of it. And and we can have a larger conversation around some of that maybe some other time. But I mean, ultimately I think, you know, kind of like there was a straight jacket on men and women. Right. Yeah. And now we're just kind of busting Mm -hmm. out of that. Um, Yeah. It's refreshing. Yeah. 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 So I think I just have a couple more questions to run past you. Yeah, sure. Um, so I listened to your recent interview with William Keepen. Yeah. And thanks. wow, I just, what, a, what an amazing interview that was. It was yeah, really it was moving. Delight, delightful interview. Yeah. And kind of circling back to where you and I just were, you know, around you know, men's work and women's work and feeling safe, you know, in a space with your own gender. Yeah. Uh, I love what he said about, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm going to roughly paraphrase um, that the, the wounding between the genders is like the oldest wound uh, that humanity has. Mm-hmm. And that it's, I think he said something like it's a thousand, it's thousands of years old and a few hours deep. Three days, three days, three oh, days, three days, deep. Said three days deep. Okay. That's their, their workshop is three workshop is three I think days. it's three days. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. yeah it's an right. ancient, most ancient, ancient wound in humanity. He's is what uh, yeah. he said, but it's okay. thousands yeah. of years old, but only three days deep. Three days deep. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. That's those, more realistic than a few hours. <laughs> yeah. So those workshops that they do, it's just, yeah, if you haven't listened to that podcast, I would highly recommend it just in terms of being able, the book is, you know, it's a great read too, but you can invest an hour into the podcast and get a sense of what that is. But yeah, I marvel at that. Um, I mean, uh, at that, um, the the ability, it's hard to create safe spaces for, for men's work and then safe spaces, safe spaces for women's work. I mean, that's what you were talking earlier about how women, if they want to come in and talk about, you know, being a sexual abuse victim, domestic violence victim, or being objectified or whatever, to do that with other women who've had that, you know, the Me Too movement was essential and giving women a space to say, yeah, this happened to me too. Um, But to bring the, those wounds that are sometimes inflicted Cross the tribes, right? It's like men inflicting them on women, women inflicting them on men, and, and and to bring bring those wounds together and give them a chance to experience compassion for each other is such a such yeah. deep deep healing. Yeah. And we've done yeah. that through. We've got some, you know, the racism and some of the reconciliation mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. programs and such that that have been designed for that and getting uh, people of color to be able to talk with, you know, Caucasians about some of that. Um, so this is, yeah, it's deep yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, which and is, I, yeah. Which is what he modeled his work on, right? The, the reckon, the truth and reconciliation process in right. South Africa. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There was a modeling of that and, and consulted with the Desmond Tutu and yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love how he says, you know, like this, this wound, this very ancient wound, it shows up in every relationship and almost always people in a relationship assume that the problem is in their relationship. They don't see that this is a giant collective problem. This is a giant Mm -hmm. intergenerational 
collective issue and right. that it, it needs to actually be addressed on the collective level. Right. So, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm wondering if you see yourself like doing that kind of work in the future. It, it does intrigue me. Um, you know, it's like as I kind of get to the twilight years of my career and kind of think what are, what are some of my final laps, you know, in this mm-hmm. kind of this human race. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so it's kind of, it, it, it does intrigue me and, you know, William Keepin did graciously offer me free free training in that. And I could go to a weekend and and just go, go and observe um, for free and participate um, and then look at some of the trainings. But um. So yeah, and I think just doing some some mixed gendered groups of ex- extended um, sessions that we just recently did just this last year with some yeah. colleagues, yeah, um, Kirk Brink and, and uh, Mary Jo Druke, you guys did some work with, and and so they bring in in taking some of, even minimally taking some of their ideas and in, in doing some more intentional work around that because even when we did those mixed gender groups, that stuff came up. And you could tell they people got into their tribes, you know, and kind of the guys were the you know locking arms figuratively and kind of like defending each other. I got your back, bro. <laughs> you know? And the women were jumping, you know, and supporting each other. So you could see those wounds surface. Yeah. Um, and just that you know larger collective extended group. Um, so I, I could see us doing more intentional work around that. Um, maybe not a full three three day, you know, gender. Reconciliation that they do, but I think there's features of of that kind of work that can be incorporated in some of the work that we do. And yeah. so I'm thinking about all that, Ken. It's yeah, definitely okay. inspiring, and and yeah. yeah, you're right. It's there's so much there's so much healing that can be done um, if we create the safe spaces and be intentional about it. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So. One last question I'll I'll leave off with is where do you see the future of men's work? Uh, we we might have just touched on it, but like, what do you see that needs to be addressed that maybe is not receiving adequate attention? Yeah. Well, I I I I think that you know raising just raising boys differently, and I I think that you know I think you know I. I oftentimes hear guys say, I wish they would have taught me this in school, Um, you know, and and, and this, this, you know, it's like I learned, I learned Spanish and and, and I learned calculus, but they didn't teach me about the language, the foreign language of emotions. I mean, in school, I wish I could have learned this. It would have saved me and people I love a lot of pain. Absolutely. Um, and we have, I mean, we started this All Together Boys program um, several years ago, pre-COVID, and it's just, it's unfortunate, Ken, that people, you know, there's this idea that men got all the attention and they were dominating in the classrooms and in the workforce. And, and so there was a lot of resources and money that was funding women's programs and locally and nationally, there was Girls Inc., um, which went into the schools and, and had special um, cl- classes for middle school girls and teaching them about the special challenges of growing up female. Mm. And we got called, the Men's Resource Center got called when a smart seventh grade girl looked outside watching guys playing kickball and they were talking about safe dating and how to, you know, make sure you keep yourself safe when you start dating and stuff. And she's like, 
raised her hand and she says, why, why are we learning about safe dating when the boys are out playing kickball? Why aren't they learning the same thing? Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's yeah. like, so the health teacher brought the men's resource center and we created mm-hmm. this altogether boys program, but we had to fold it up because we couldn't get any funding. Wow. Because why, who needs funding for, for boys? You know, it's like mm-hmm. boys have been ruling the world, you know? And so there's, there's just kind of a limited thinking around some of this. And I think that if we could do a better job, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic is really important. But, you know, in terms of what really brings meaning and purpose in our lives, that's when we're on our deathbed, oftentimes it's about relationships. And so yeah. why aren't we teaching emotional intelligence and, and providing opportunities? So I see work with young boys um, in providing, um, and again, that wouldn't take them off the soccer fields or tennis courts. It would, it would just give them again that cross training, and they can continue to be be young men and, and compete, but giving them opportunities to learn the importance of relationship skills and emotional intelligence and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then I think we're moving Ken in a better place of seeing uh, mental health as something you seek not just for illness but something for personal development you know we get our teeth clean because you know we get plaque that get built up and we don't want cavities and so we go see our dental hygienist we go to physical therapist we go do all kinds of things but going to see a counselor oh what's wrong with me it's like well you got emotional plaque and you gotta get you got you gotta get a therapist to floss it out of you a little bit and kind of get you thinking straight and clean things up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just kind of that wellness model versus an illness model. And yeah. so I think yeah. doing doing better work at giving men permission to seek counseling will be will be helpful. And that's why at the men's resource center we try to see them as a special population and create an environment where they feel comfortable. Um, to do to do this difficult work because it takes a lot, like I said, a lot of courage and strength and dedication, discipline, commitment, vision to be able to do this work. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to share before we wrap up? I, I don't think so. I think that um, I, I enjoy talking with you. It's very easy. I, I appreciate it. You, your willingness when I mentioned um, this idea, I heard some other podcasters uh, doing some some of this kind of formatting, and I thought, well, that'd be fun to do that. Who would I want to talk to yeah. me? And I thought, yeah, Ken, I think I want Ken. And I asked you, and you said, sure, I'll do that. Sounds fun, yeah, and and and, and helpful um, to your listeners. So I'm, I am, I appreciate you giving me a chance to blather about some of my inner <laughs> thoughts and ideas. Yeah. I appreciate you turning the tables on me. (laughs) Good. Well, thank you again, Randy, for all the beautiful and powerful and essential work that you are doing in the world. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks for partnering with me over the years and doing the work together with the men that we serve in our groups. And I, I value when you come in and I value working with you and And so do the guys. So thank you, Ken. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. We'll talk later. Bye now. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Revealing Men. If you're looking for more information about counseling, coaching, and consultative services, 
please visit the Men's Resource Center of West Michigan online at menscenter.org. Also, feel free to contact us on our website if you have questions about this segment, ideas for a topic, or would like to be a guest on the Revealing Men podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a rating so others can find us. Be well and have a great day.